So uh, last week we started a new series in the book of James, kind of uh, titled Faith is a Verb, uh, the idea that James uh, doesn't pull any punches. We talked a little bit about who he is last week and the fact that uh, James is a guy who, although the uh, brother or half-brother of Jesus, uh, basically throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, we have uh, every indication that he wasn't sold out. He, he really wasn't sure who Jesus was, didn't really follow him or believe him. There's a couple places where they kind of thought he was crazy, it says, and in one place where they tried to usher him out because the crowds were listening. Um, and then after the uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, uh, James had a, a visitation of Jesus. Jesus came and, and spoke with him. As I said last week, that's one of those things I would love to have been a fly on the wall in that conversation. I don't know what happened, but I know that something happened. Because he went from this place of disbelief uh, to being really, in my estimation, one of the more passionate figures in the New Testament. Not only passionate, I can tell, as, as I said in his writing, you, know, you, you feel that passion coming through, but a leader in the church. Uh, pastor of the church of Jerusalem, uh, overseer, and, and sent other churches out. Uh, the Apostle Paul, Barnabas, others looked to James for leadership. So he's a guy that had a radical transformation when he saw Jesus. And that's really our heart and our hope for this series and in everything we do, that we have that, that same sort of revelation, that, that image of Jesus in our life that becomes so real and so powerful that it changes everything. So uh, what we're going to do this morning... I'm going to start the text. I'm going to read to you straight through the first 18 verses. It's a little bit long passage. Uh, I'll explain why I'm doing that in a minute, but I want to just read that whole passage to you, and then we will launch into it, okay? So you can follow with me on the screen if you want, or if you've got your Bible or your electronic device, you can do that. Um, we're going to have to, this is an honor system, though. If you get your phone out, you can't be texting can't be checking Instagram, none of that. You can read the Bible, that's all. Nothing else. I'll know. No, I won't know. But James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a fl wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived. 
My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So, um, I'm going to focus in primarily today on verses 5 through 7, in the middle of that, where he talks about uh, asking with faith and not doubt. We'll look at the whole passage, but focused on that little bit, primarily for this reason. This is, this is a great example of a passage or a verse in Scripture that very often is sort of what I call cherry-picked, just sort of taken out and, and used sometimes to convey something other than what it's actually teaching. And, and that's why uh, what, what I really want to do this morning, I'm going to start with, uh, before we actually get into the text, I'm going to take a few minutes and just talk about how we read the Bible and, and, and uh, how, how we come to determination as to really what is the Bible teaching. I think this, this has been my, my experience after, you know, 40 years or so uh, in this deal. Uh, many Christians today, and I'm, this, I'm not, this is not a criticism, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody or, or anything like that, but I think many of us have learned to, to read the Bible in little bits and pieces. And when we do that, there is the risk of of taking something out of context and, and thinking or believing it might mean something other than what it does. And you understand that in life. You, we see that on TV all the time. You know, politicians will make a speech, and then uh, news pundits will take a little clip from their speech and throw it up here and make it sound like they're saying something that they weren't really saying. And I think many of us have learned to read the Bible that way. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. And again, I'm not critical. They're all good things. I, I think... Um, a lot of devotional books. I know a lot of people use devotional books. And again, I'm not, bet, I'm not down on devotional books. But they teach us to read the Bible in little bits and pieces rather than a, as a collective whole. Uh, many people, including myself, teach topically. Jesus taught topically. But again, sometimes topical teaching will cause us to lose sight of the big picture. Uh, even our children, and, and again, I, this is, I'm, I want everybody to know I'm not making a, I'm not picking point in anything, but... We, when the kids are in study school, they learn Bible stories, right? We learn Bible stories, and that's good. And the kids grow up knowing the stories. But I just think it's so important that we really understand that the Bible is one big story. And all those little stories are part of the greatest story ever told. It's a meta-narrative. It's a grand narrative. There's a huge story. If we lose sight of that, we run the risk, really, of interpreting Scripture incorrectly and thinking it says something it doesn't say. And this is a passage that that happens with often. I'll give you another example. Um, Philippians 4.13, I don't know how many times, I'm going to say dozens and dozens, I've heard this quoted to mean something other than it means. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then the little asterisk, is that how you say that word? A- asterisk? I get, okay. uh, there, uh, I noted at the bottom, in the NIV they've changed that. It doesn't say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It actually says I can do this, I can, I can do... All this through Christ who strengthens me, uh, which is a little different. It seems to say this. When you just read that verse by itself, it sounds as though it says, I can do anything through Christ. Anything. I can, I can if I want to, if I have, if I, God will strengthen me if I think I can uh, conquer armies, climb mountains, uh, you know, overcome evil, and win the lottery by 6 o'clock tonight, I can do it. 
right? That's what it sounds like. It says, and again, I've heard it quoted dozens and dozens of times, people saying that that's what it means. But in fact, that's not really at all what Paul is conveying. If you look at the surrounding verses, what he says is this, and this is from the NIV. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. What Paul is really saying is not that I can do anything I want through God. He's saying, hey, I've learned that even if life is hard, even if things aren't going well, I can, I can endure those things. I can get through that in Him. And I just think that's very different than what we sometimes think that means. Again, when Paul's writing this, he, he's writing from prison, right? I don't know if, how many of you guys have spent time in prison. Um, I have not, just for the record. Uh, but I've heard that it's not a lot of fun. It's not a very fun place to be. Um, and so it's very likely that Paul, at the time he wrote this, was cold and hungry. Uh, that he didn't have much. And, and yet he's saying, you know, what I've learned through my circumstances is that God will strengthen me and allow me to get through this. And that's a little bit different than, oh, I can do anything through God. Um, so, there are a number of New Testament passages that uh, are sometimes misinterpreted like that. Now, I want to say this, you know, uh, Looking at one verse or two verses in isolation doesn't necessarily change the meaning. It might, it might be that you're still interpreting it correctly. All I'm saying is that when we do that without considering the surrounding verses, uh, that we run the risk of that, and we have no way of knowing. You don't know if we've changed the meaning or not. So, so here's, here's my little note to you today. What was that? Glenn's key to good Bible study. This is, the, this is one of the deep secrets of life. How do we read the Bible? We read the Bible contextually. There you go. That is a, I just saved you, that's a seminary education right there. Okay, you, can go to, you go to school for four years or just read through that. Um, what is this verse or this passage saying in context is so, so important. We want to look first at the surrounding verses that we just did in Philippians. That's the immediate context. And then we really want to look at the whole book. And I, I do this every time I teach a new book or a new series. I always encourage you guys to read the book in its entirety. Take some time out during your week and read the book. Um, we also, I, I think it's important that the context broadens out, but the further you go, the more meaning you get. So I, I think it's important to not only look at a specific book, but uh, if that author has written other books in the Bible, to look at those as well. Now, in the case of James, that's not possible because this is his only book. But with Paul, it's po- certainly possible. Where you want to read, is, this, is what I think Paul's saying here consistent with what he says in other places? And then ultimately, we want to look at, at the whole New Testament and the whole Scripture. And then we also want to consider the culture. And that's where it gets a little harder, but to, to really... And today, this is there are any number of uh, social issues that we're all aware of that uh, have cultural context. And so those things, what does the Bible really say about those things? And what doesn't it say? And how do we sort that out? And it's not always easy. But it's just that's my encouragement to you today. 
uh, read the book of James this week. Take some time out. It's, it's not that long. Um, look at the context and think it through. We, we want to do our very, very best, as Paul says, to present ourselves to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Okay? Uh, let's pray. Lord, thanks uh, for your goodness today. I pray that you would open your word to us and that we would be able to, uh, to learn and grow and, and draw near to you. In your name we pray, amen. Um, verse 1 in James is a salutation, a greeting, just like same today, you write a letter, write an email, you know, who's it to, or who, you know, who's writing, what's going on there, and then he dives right in, verse 2, beginning with one of his primary themes of this letter. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James is writing to uh, a broad audience. We mentioned that last week. He's writing to all Christians in different places. Uh, But he's writing to people that are following Jesus and practicing their faith at a time when it, it might be potentially dangerous to do so. So persecution or even execution are very real possibilities in the lives of these people. We... That is so hard for us to grasp. I want you to know that. If you understand the world situation today, we realize, we know this, that there are Christians living in other countries where that's true. They could be persecuted and potentially even executed for their faith. And we see that on the news or we read that, but it's so far away, it just seems so unreal. We really have no concept of what that's like in our country. I'll tell you, I laugh at Christians in America who say, oh, we're being persecuted. Oh, they won't let us uh, pray in school. That's persecution. Uh, you know, good grief. Grow up, would you please? I, how do you not, you can't, a kid can pray. You can pray, okay? Maybe you don't have a prayer time in your school, but you can pray, right? I can pray right now. You can pray. We're not pers- we don't understand persecution. These people that James is writing to do, in addition to that reality, I think James is a guy who's very, very aware of just the challenges of life. Life is hard. Anybody know that? Anybody figure that out yet? I remember uh, being a young Christian and struggling with trying to live out my faith. You just, this is, and I went to my pastor and I said, uh, I said, John, why is it so hard to be a Christian? And he laughed at me, kind of laughed with me. And he said, uh, he, goes, hey, he goes, life's hard, whether you're a Christian or not. He goes, you don't get to choose that. What you get to choose is whether you go through those hard times with Jesus or without him. And when he put it that way, I, oh, man, that makes sense. I think if I'm going to go through hard times, I would rather go through them with Jesus than without him. James gets that. Life is hard. In, in James's world, trials are not an option. It's not like he doesn't say, you know, you might face trials. Or, you know, there's a possibility something will happen difficult. No, he says whenever you do, whenever you face trials, face them with joy. And he says also that those trials are diverse. They come in many shapes and sizes. Anybody figure that out? Uh, Yeah, trials come in all different manners in the course of our life. But his bottom line here is when you do face those difficult times, whether they're relational, financial, physical, health, whatever they are, face them with joy. There, there is a place 
in, the, in your growth, your spiritual growth as a Christian, when, and again, no one likes bad things to happen. No one asks God to give them trials. But there is a place of growth when you encounter difficulties and you know in your heart that the outcome of this difficulty is that I will be a little bit more like Jesus than I was when it started. Because I know that God is good enough to work this thing through in my heart and in my life and help transform me even in the midst of it. That's what James is saying here. He says those things, difficult though they may be, they will test your faith. They will push you. They, 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 they will press down on you a little bit. But, but when they do, thank God for that. Persevere in the midst of that because perseverance is a very... Uh, welcome quality in life, isn't it? Anybody think that it's good to be able to persevere? Uh, it really is. And, you know, I mean, we, 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 that's an honored uh, trait and quality in a person's life. He says those things will form perseverance in your life, and as that perseverance takes root and takes hold, ultimately you become more mature. So there's really, and I, and I said last week, James is a little random. He kind of bounces around a lot. But there's a, there's a train of thought here. So he's saying, Trials, when accepted with joy, will produce perseverance. Perseverance will ultimately lead to maturity. That's what is happening in our lives if we allow God to do that. Um, so this, this passage really is about, it's about maturing in relationship with Christ. It's about the attitude, the perspective, the mindset that we should take on in the course of life so that maturity happens in our lives and we continue to grow. And then he, he adds a little something-something here. He says, look, this, this, is, this is the perspective you should have. This is how you should view these things. But if you don't, if it's hard for you to grasp that, if you get into the midst of a difficult situation, it's hard for you to find God. You can't see God. You don't understand what's happening. You get overwhelmed and you can't get a hold of that joy. He goes, hey, there's help available. There's help available. He said, that's true wisdom, but if you lack wisdom, if you don't know what that is, if, that, if, that, if you can't get a hold of that, ask God, and God will help you. If, if, finding, <laughs> if, if encountering diff- various trials in your life is challenging, and you can't get to that place of joy, ask God. God will help you gain wisdom in your life. Now, I want to say this, and this is what I mentioned or alluded to earlier, this is not a generalized statement about prayer. Okay? James is talking specifically about our maturity, growth in Christ. It's not a generalized statement of prayer. He's not saying if you ask anything with faith that God will do it. Very similar to the Philippians passage we looked at a minute ago. He's not saying if you have faith, you can pray and ask God to accomplish world peace by 6 p.m. tonight. And he will do that. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying if you pray and ask God to eradicate poverty and find a cure for cancer, that that's going to happen. This passage is at times taken out of context and spoken or taught to mean that, but it's it's really inaccurate. That's not what James is saying at all here. Um, Although, he does make a statement about prayer. He does teach some truth about prayer here. This is what I think James teaches us and what we can take away in regards to prayer in this passage. First thing is, who does God give to? 
He gives to all without finding fault. First of all, he gives to all. Anybody can go to God. And it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. You may have made some mistakes in your life in the past. You may have sinned. You You might have sinned yesterday. And God says, you know what? You can still come to me. I'm not finding fault. So the first lesson we can learn about prayer in this passage is no matter where we've been, what we've done, we all have access to God. Who does God give to? To all? How, how does God give? Anybody know? Very good. Thank you, Lord. We just read it, you guys. Generously. God gives generously. He doesn't hold back. God has a lot. God wants to give to His people. He longs to give to His people. He wants to bless us. Now, according to what James is teaching us in this passage... God will give to all without finding fault. He'll give generously. What does He give? Wisdom. If you're struggling with life, if you can't figure it out, it's it's so overwhelming. I don't know what to do in this situation. Ask God. God will generously give you wisdom to help you sort that through. That's what the passage is teaching us about prayer. Okay? It's not saying we can ask for anything we want with faith and we'll get it. it. It is saying... God will give generously wisdom and help us discern and figure out how to get through life. This really is a passage about the image of Christ being formed in us. It's about growth. It's, it's, it's about moving forward in Him, in our faith, and how we do that and how we mature so that we are complete, not lacking in anything. Let's look at the, uh, the rest of the passage real quick and we'll, we'll wrap up. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. The rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. The sun rises with scorching heat, withers the plant, its blossoms fall, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. This really is an example, an illustration of what he just said. One of those trials, those those diverse trials that we might face, is financial. Uh, Sometimes we hit a financial tough spot in our life, uh, and earthly wisdom, worldly, worldly wisdom, the normal sort of thinking, usually um, we think, oh, this is bad. This is really hard. I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. I don't know what to do. I don't have enough money at the end of the month. And so what James is saying is, no, hey, that's, that is one of those trials that can cause you to grow if you embrace it with joy. Understand that that there's a difference in perspective on how we view even our financial situation. Now, he's not saying here riches and the gl- are necessarily bad. He is saying the glory of riches are bad. Trusting in riches are bad. If you trust in riches, I, I got news for you. It's probably not going to end well. But if your trust is in God, you should be, you should be happy that God will help you through that process. So then, the next verse, he continues, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. So this is a transitional verse. Really, it's a restatement of what He said in the very beginning. We we persevere through trials, so He's restating that again and then transitioning into His next thought. Um, (laughs) And there they go. (laughs) How do you not enjoy that? Um... Uh, I know. Uh, do you want to be blessed? Okay. 
If you want to be blessed, uh, persevere under trials. God, and, and you'll be blessed. God will bless you if you persevere under trials. Um, ultimately, those things will lead you into God's presence. That's, that's what he tells us here. And God will gain glory in the midst of that. And then he continues on. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Each person is tempted when they are dragging, dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then... After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full ground, gives birth to death. Trials and temptations are not the same thing. They're not interchangeable. Okay, All temptations are trials, but all trials are not temptations. You got that? All temptations are trials, but all trials are not temptations. Temptations are one of the many kinds of trials that we might endure that he talked about earlier. Temptations, though, uh, do fall under that category of offering us an opportunity to grow. When we have a temptation in our life, we can either yield to that temptation or not. And if we do not, then we grow towards maturity. But you remember our little chart. You can go, I was trying to figure out how to make this go two different directions, but it didn't make sense. But We can accept trials with joy, persevere, and mature, or kind of on the other side of that, uh, when when we yield to temptation, that leads to sin, sin leads to death. So this is what I want to say uh, here, is that Christianity is not static. Okay? We, we, We never... Never in this life, in our, in our spiritual formation, our, our journey with Jesus, however you want, your walk, whatever, we, we never hold pat. We, 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 Christianity is not static. We never just stay in the same place. We are always either moving forward or moving backward. It's just the way it is. You're always moving either forward or moving backward. You are, go, you are moving forward with Christ or you're going backward. That's the way it is. It's one or the other. So I just... I don't say that critically. I just say it to say this. Maybe ask yourself the question. Am I moving forward or am I moving back? It's not hard to answer. Most of you know the answer right away. Do a little evaluation. Am I moving forward or am I moving back? If I'm moving back, what do I need to do to move forward? Maybe what I need to do is accept some difficult things with joy in my heart, persevere, and begin to mature rather than yielding to temptations leading to sin and ultimately uh, to death. That's not where we want to go. So it's not static. And then his final little verse here. Uh, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruit of all I created. Back in the day, uh, vineyard guy, a friend of mine, wrote a song called Father of Lights. Anybody remember that song? Some of you have been around for a little while. It's great, great song. We did that song, and I didn't. The worship team did the song in church one Sunday. And I had a guy come up to me afterwards, and he goes, I don't like that song. It's kind of new agey. Kind of new agey? Yeah, it's kind of new agey, the whole Father of Lights thing. Father of Lights, new agey. 
Yeah, it just sounds new age to me. It sounds like we're just worshiping some new age God. Oh, really? That's an interesting take. I would never have thought of that. Because when I think of that, I think of God said, let there be light. And there was light. God's the Father of lights. He created it all. He spoke it all into being. And not only did he speak it into being, but he brought shape and order and form. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. God gives creation order, takes it out of chaos, and, and, and gives it a focus and a direction. And not only that, but he continues to do that. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never be in darkness, but will have the light of life. I said, Father of lights is not new age, it's the age. It's the only age. It's God's age. God created it all. He brings it shape. He leads us. He guides us. That's who he is. All right, let's stand.